This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello Evertonians and uh, other football fans who may have stumbled across our podcast. <laughs> uh, we're very, very inclusive here. This is the latest Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. And if you listened to our preview show last week, you'll recall that uh, myself, David Prentice, was the only guy in the room that could actually physically remember Everton winning at Arsenal. So I've called for backup. We've got Gary Buckland <laughs> with us today, who is uh, also of a similar vintage, who also remembers that 1995-96 victory. And, and I was there twice in the 80s when we won as well. So, uh, so yeah, he's got yeah. rich, rich Arsenal heritage. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the younger end of the spectrum, Adam Jones and Chris Beasley, who sadly can't remember an Everton victory. That's still ongoing because, uh, as you all know, um, Everton lost there at the weekend. But we're not going to make this a negative because... I personally thought it was a positive performance and there's plenty to be optimistic about. Uh, discuss. Everybody happy with that, you know, assumption or, or yeah. otherwise? Yeah, I think I think the first half in particular is what we're really looking at. I mean, there were a lot of missed chances which probably came back to bite us. I think that Calvert-Lewin won uh, in the first couple of minutes of the game, was it? Well, the opening, think, yeah, opening yeah. two minutes. Yeah, I think, I think that's the big one. Like Personally, I think he should be squaring it to Richarlison all, all day, every yeah. day, like he's got. Mm acres of space to aim didn't even look up did he yeah and then you've got that Walcott one as well yeah Richarlison worked the keeper a few times because he had maybe done a little bit better maybe he can let him off being a bit rusty having missed three Premier League games but it's it's been a real while since I've seen Everton go at one of the top six sides at their place and really take the game to them the high pressing was there and it's actually it's what I wanted to see it's what I said at the start of the last pod like you can't you can't give them too much respect going into those type of games and I don't think Everton really did for that first half but after the after, after half time you just got that feeling we've missed too many chances it's it's it's, it's going to happen isn't it and yeah. sure enough they've they've got players of such quality that they're just going to like Lacazette's goal you can't you can't really warrant for that that's a, a really really good finish second goal we all we all know that that's about 50 miles offside. And it killed the game, unfortunately. There seemed to be like a flatness about the plate after that. Mm. Is that, is that a blue-tinted view, uh, Gav, or do you go along with that? Was it plenty to No, I, I was thinking enjoy. out of the uh, my glasses full yeah. uh, cup. <laughs> that's, a, that's a phrase on, on Sunday. Uh, Greg Everton with Adam says they're caveated slightly by the fact that it's probably the worst Arsenal team I've seen since uh, since Wenger took the, over. They're settling under a new manager. They've got some they, good yeah. players, yeah. but in terms of like, in terms of like, the development of the team, they're actually pretty like us, pretty much like us, aren't they, really? Um, so, to take that into account, I thought we played really well in the first half. Second half, people said our heads went down. I thought we, we still tried to keep in the game in difficult circumstances, you know, knowing the fact that the second goal was should have been disallowed, you know, so we need to take it to take that into account. I thought, um, you know, we had the chance with Keane, didn't we, at 2-0 still. Mm. And I thought some individual players like Keane had, you know, close to their best performance in, in Everton's year, to be fair. I thought he was excellent. So there was lots to take away uh, from that uh, positive, but it's still, you know, like any defeat, it, it throws up your uh, weaknesses as well. Lack of lack of bite up front. Well, I was going to come to that because um, you say that Everton are in a similar position to Arsenal, but the obvious yeah. discrepancy, they've got world-class strikers like Lacazette and Obama Yang with Danny Welbeck even on the bench. Um, we haven't. I mean, uh, I think we've said previously that Cenk Tosin, Umar Nias, uh, well, for me, my personal viewpoint, aren't good enough, you know, for a team that has top six or, you know, it's a top half of the table aspirations. 
Might be a bit harsh there, Chris, or do we need, you know, better quality in the forward third? Yeah, I think that was the main issue. Um, and if we take that result in isolation, the performance in isolation, it, w it wasn't too bad. But I think what the, the problem was is be, because it came after so many years without winning at Arsenal and um, a couple of um, bad results at home beforehand. So um, if, if you take the result in, in performance in isolation, it wasn't too bad. But in regards to the strikers, they did make the difference. He had um, over £100 million worth of striking talent on the pitch, Arsenal. And they signed those two strikers when they weren't in the Champions League. So it shows it can be done. I suppose it's a very different sort of situation in that Arsenal were long-time Champions League participants and any players coming into the club think, well, they're a lot closer to getting back in there. But ever since Romelu Lukaku left, they haven't sufficiently replaced him. They took half a season to bring in Tosin, um, extensively scouted him in the first half of last season. He had a little bit of a purple patch soon after he came and looked like he, he might be all right. Four goals yeah. in eight games can be considered yeah. a purple patch, but no, yeah. I'd take yeah. the point. Yeah. But I was under Sam. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he's, he's struggled, hasn't he, to get to get going this year? Because he's one of those strikers, if, if he can get a bit of confidence behind him, you think that, yeah, he, he could go on a run, but if he's not scoring, he doesn't offer much else, really, unfortunately. Prano, when you said there that Tosin's not good enough, yeah. is, are we say, is that totally true, or are we saying that he's not suitable enough for the style of play that Silva wants to play. Yeah, I mean, if he's going to be a success, he's got to play in a team that gets crosses in regularly yeah. from the flanks, uh, you know, and basically, you know, supplies him. And clearly, it doesn't look like Marco Silva, you know, is going to play that way. Therefore, I would say, no, he's not good enough for that for that team. Um, I just think he's ordinary. You know, his, his finishing's okay. You know, his hold-up play's okay. Um He's not particularly quick. I mean, a couple of things that have really irritated me in recent games is not looking up and playing players in, uh, you know, and having shots, you know, which um, he could have done. You know, the home game against West Ham was one that jumps out where there was an opportunity to do that. Uh, a couple of times, uh, he's not he's not lifted his head up and, you know, still seen the bigger picture around him. And I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, he's OK for, you know, a team with mid-table aspirations, I would say. And I would like to think that Everton have got grander ambitions than that. Mm. So I don't think he is. And Umar Nias, you know, we, we've said all along, we love his enthusiasm, you know, we love his attitude. But he's just not good enough for Everton Football Club. Yeah, so, so where do we think, where does Theo fit, fit in into that? Because the bulk of the discussions I had post-Sunday's post, post Sunday's games yeah. about Walcott... I like him. Um, yeah, we, we discussed him actually on Friday's yeah, preview yeah. show, didn't yeah. we? Where we talked about what we thought of him, and he's been a very bright signing. It's funny actually, yeah. But giving away a little bit of a piece, I'm planning to write for later in this week. Uh, but I don't know if you read Matthew Syed's uh, column in the Times on Monday. Great read. Yeah, and about Ruud van Nistelrooy and uh, the difference he made to Manchester United. Great striker, world class striker. Scored you know 25 goals a season for five seasons. United won the league three years running before he arrived. Three years running after he left. The five years he was there, they won one league title. And the argument was that a team is a team and it's, you know, the sum of its parts. And, you know, absolutely, you know, one individual talent can sometimes, you know, scupper the whole thing. And the, the obvious comparison is Everton under Gary Lineker, um, you know, world-class striker, but having won the league previous to him, won the league after he'd left, won nothing at all with him there. So to take that argument a little further, you say, OK, Everton haven't got this world-class striker. So where else do you look for your goals? Other players have got to pitch in. You've got to get the balance right, like Howard Kendall did in yeah. 87, where you spread teams out, you Trevor Stevens scored double figures. You know, players you know, scored from all over the pitch. And 
to name names, Gilfie Sigurdsson, I want to see on the score sheet more. Yeah. Theo Walcott, who I've just said I like, and I do, I think he's very, very bright, but needs to score more goals, playing in that position. Richarlison's doing that, you know, he's fulfilling his obligations. Be- behind that, the two midfield players, how often do we ever see Tom Davis, Morgan Schneidlin, and Jesse Gay figure on the, you know, the score sheets? Just not often enough, and I think that, that's got to change. Yeah. Certainly mm. before January. Because I don't know what everybody thought. I. Walcott for me, he provides great moments rather than playing in, you know, having great great performances. You and know, that's consistency. Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought, I thought, I thought he, you know, he could have done better with the chance he was given in the first half. Yeah. I thought he, he overran it. I also thought, and you know, it's very easy to break down goals, isn't it? That you can see. I mean, goals on Sunday does it for a living, doesn't it? Really. Yeah. But the first goal that they scored, ask yourself why was Legazette. Had so much space inside the Everton box. And if you watch it, when he receives the ball the first time, John Joe Kenny, whether he should have done it or not, points Walcott in his direction. So Walcott goes to pick him up. And then when Lacazette plays it into the plays it into the area, he carries on running into the space that Kenny's left. That we would have expected Walcott to to track back and fill. And Theo's still on the air. Theo's just standing there on the on the on the touchline. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking. That's poor. That from from somebody who's an experienced international. Well, for, from I someone thought, who's yeah, I, I think his defensive qualities are probably right up there yeah. in terms of a winger. Anyway, I, I just thought that that was a poor bit of play. You know, I, I mean, Mace has this theory that he only plays at home. That actually, it's difficult to get a game out away from home. He, he might do the odd moment, not, but argue that Bournemouth game. Yeah, probably but, one more. But week in week out is that he's more of a home player than an away player, mm. and I think for twenty. Odd million pounds or whatever it was, you pay twenty million. Uh, I, I agree, Dave. That is a great player, but I still think he should be. You know, he's a great player. He's not a great player. He's well, he's well, a good sign, and he could do more. Like yeah, he could yeah. do more. I mean, that's, to be I fair, I, I wouldn't say defensively. I think defensively he's okay. Yeah. I want to see more more goals from him. You know, yeah. you know, more outputs. But that that goes for a lot of players in the squad at the moment. I mean, even defensively, I think, I think across the whole squad, you could say everybody 100%. needs to be. You know, yeah. set pieces. How, yeah, how often do we score goals from you know from you know centre backs from corners? I mean, hopefully Yerry Mina will, will change that. You know, Michael Keane's been coming close the last couple of games. Yeah, yeah. Played. Well, Michael, well, he, he scored yeah. against Bournemouth. Well, well yeah. Michael Keane's been great on the occasions I've seen him play this season, which you know segues on nicely actually to a, a dilemma you mentioned to me this morning, Adam, about a, you know a happy dilemma really that Marco Silva has. Mm. That if Yerry Mina, he trained all last week, he's been training this week, you would imagine he's close to starting a first team game now. Who steps down? Kurt Zuma, Michael Keane. Yeah, do, the, do you go three at the back? I the, mean, how, the, prob- how do you the problem I him? see is that on the balance of things, Michael Keane's probably been Everton's best defender this season. I think in terms of all of his performances, I think he's probably been the best. Ked Zuma's started really well. I think that Huddersfield game was probably the best performance we've seen from a centre-back so far yeah. this season. And I think maybe, as I'm going to allude to in a piece a little bit later today, I think switching to a three at the back might be the best way to try and introduce him. It, it, it obviously then encompasses a bit more attacking options as well. Yeah. If you play three at the back, you don't need to play two whole midfielders. You can drop Sigurdsson maybe a bit further back. And Lucas maybe... Dean as a wing-back all day long. Well, exactly. Hopefully Coleman will be fit so he can slot straight yeah. back into that other wing-back role. And then in a front three, you've got Bernard who can slot into there if you want to play Richarlison in there. Tosin, and Calvert-Lewin, do whatever you want in that sort of fluid front, front three. Well, it's, I mean, it's good that we're talking about that with, with Michael Keane because if we cast our eye back um, just over a year ago 
this is the sort of performances we were expecting for him. I mean, it, there was talk, was it going to be Michael Keane? Harry Maguire was in the mix. And people would now say, well, Everton may signed the wrong player. Maguire's gone on to do great things um, in the World Cup for England. Um, Manchester United were, were interested in him in this summer. But Michael Keane, just over a year ago, was the higher-rated player. And uh, Everton was seen as it was something of a coup of bringing him to Goodison. Obviously, he struggled like a lot of players did last season, bringing him in. So I think... It, we should be ex talking like this about Michael Keeney. He should be the, one of the, the mainstays in the Everton defence, and it, it's good that he is providing that option now for the manager. Sometimes we underestimate, you know, how big a transition it is for a footballer coming from a club like, you know, Burnley to Everton Football Club. No disrespect whatsoever to Burnley, but you know, the expectations are just higher. The crowd demands are higher. There's forty thousand in there every single home game, and that can be a difficult thing for a footballer to adjust to. Hopefully, you know, it took a year's adjustment for Michael Keane and he's adjusted now and we're seeing those kind of performances hopefully, you know, regularly going forward. Well, I think we were seeing the effects of him leaving a Sean Dyche team at the end of the day. Like, yeah. Sean Dyche, the way Sean Dyche set up Burnley, it was more to do with the system than the personnel that were involved. Yeah. Like, he could lift any of them centre-backs out and put Tarkovsky in there and he did that effectively last season. And would you look at that? Tarkovsky yeah. was performing so well last season whilst Keane was struggling in a defensive system which was essentially yeah. non-existent at Everton I think the big thing for him is it was probably a little bit surprising to see him in in the Arsenal lineup I certainly wasn't expecting him to see him back so soon after yeah. his injury but it's got to be a massive show of confidence from the manager to just say look you've been our, you've been great so far this season you're going back in there and he's repaying that manager's faith now and hopefully a bit of confidence getting him playing a bit better hopefully if he gets a bit of a run of games under his belt we'll Start seeing that sort of Burnley Michael Keane again. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You know, we said about three, uh, Silver ever played three at the back. He did briefly at Watford. He's, he's played it a couple of times yeah. in the Premier League. It's yeah. not, it's it's not as natural not uh, habitat, a is it really? thing for him now. Yeah, and I was in, it's interesting. I thought Keane played, played well. I thought Zuma, I think. I like him. He has, has a habit like he did on Sunday of making a mistake that leads to a goal. I mean, he should he have done better there. He has a tendency to step out a little bit yeah. when, he, when he doesn't need to. And maybe that's just him being a young player. And yeah. obviously, a lot of the time, he's got the pace to be able to get back, even if he does make that mistake. But against teams like Arsenal, they're just, they are just going to punish you. Yeah, I mean, because we, we really didn't... You know, don't go. We didn't actually. They scored two, but we didn't really allow them a, a great deal in front of goal. Mm. It's normally when we played at Arsenal, even with better teams, they play between the lines well, and we've looked static. Uh, and and that was maybe something to do with the fact. I think I think I tweeted before the game, didn't I? I'd, the average age against Burnley, of our defence was thirty one. Mm. Thirty one mm. years, two months. The average age on Sunday was twenty four. Which so mm. it was like a very young, inexperienced defence in in some ways. And I think if you judge our performance defensively in that context. And, and players who've not had a lot of appearances for Everton, if you count mm. Luca D, I thought defensively that was that was acceptable. Um, but he takes one linesman with uh, uh -huh. with a, you know not doing his job to to uh, to spoil all that. Well, I mean, I thought the two centre backs in particular just complemented each other so well. You've got Keane, who's so good in the air, and he was so aware, positionally aware. I thought throughout the whole game, like his interceptions were really very good. I remember one in the first half took the ball away from. Aaron Ramsey inside the box when it looked certain he was going to at least get a shot away, if not absolutely bury it. That was in the first half. But I think Zuma then complimented him. Like if there was a ball in behind, obviously we know Keane on the turn really isn't the quickest. Yeah, yeah. But 
Zuma is. And I think that that that's the issue for me when you bring a Mina in because I don't think Mina's the quickest. So I think Zuma complements him better. Yeah. But I think Keane's had the better performances in general so far this season. Like, yeah. I've, that's the dilemma that's sticking in me. Well, I just can't think of a better, could be better way than maybe playing both, for, the both for the Southampton game and the Carabao Cup, you know, because they do offer a threat aerially. You know, that that is one of their strengths, and you know that could be the game to introduce Yerry Mina. You know, maybe give him another few days worth of training. We'll see, but you know, it's it's a, it's a happy decision that he's got to make rather than you know, so one that's being forced upon him. I mean, it's funny you mentioned the defense, you know, so being significantly younger. The actual starting 11 as a whole, uh, I think someone said it was the youngest starting 11 since 1999, yeah, uh, which got to be a positive, really, hasn't it? The fact that you know, there's uh, so many young players, you know, that the manager trusts in a game against the opposition as you know, as dangerous as Arsenal. No, yeah, but especially when you're looking at that last season when we've had. Regulars like Wayne Rooney, Jagielka, Williams. You know, you've got you've got yeah. al- you've got almost the spine of a team that's just far too old. Sure. It, yeah, it, 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 it just makes us much more energetic, vibrant, competitive. I think to get to get a bit of a spine of youngsters in, I I, I much prefer. Yeah, it. I agree. I, we look far more mobile, especially yeah. in the first half. Uh, just just generally, absolutely. Just, I suppose it's stupid thing. It sounds daft, but we just looked as if we were running around a little bit more. I think that that was know? probably why Tom Davis played Absolutely. alongside the Drissa Gay. Like, obviously, Morgan Schneiderland's probably played better so far this season, but there's no way he'd have been as mobile as Davis. Yeah. I think part of the problem last season was you had the two extremes in the age groups, didn't you? You had the, the veteran players, the players who had been very good but were perhaps a bit over the hill, and then the young players who were just coming through. We compared that. I think we did at the time. So the all-conquering Everton team in the, the, the mid-80s, they were almost all in their, their peak years, really, there, between um, 21 to 29, all at, really the, the height of their powers where we had... There was a situation with players at both ends of the spectrum last season, so hopefully it'll be young, hungry players going forward, people who are going to improve. Well, I know he can be a Marmite figure amongst a lot of fans, Morgan Schneidlin, and, you know, we totally accept, you know, the reasons why, you know, his performance was, you know, under par... Uh, the last home game, and you know, probably was why he wasn't, you know, involved from the start at the weekend. You know, he's 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 had a, a very very traumatic time personally. But did Everton look a little bit better? You know, for his absence, did they look a little bit more dynamic? You know, so in that midfield area, I think I think it, it's hard to take a game away to Arsenal in in isolation in isolation yeah. in in that sense. I think in term in terms of that game, yes, I think it suited. Davis being in there a bit more because he is a bit more robust. He's a bit more energetic. He's a bit more forward thinking as well, which I think we probably needed. And to be honest, having Davis next to Gay means that you're not getting Gay with the impetus of he needs to bring the ball forward a bit more. And I think that's what that's why he had such a good game because he was focusing more on what he was what he's actually good at, which is his defensive abilities. I think if you have Schneidlin in the middle there. Yeah, I think we probably would have distributed the ball a bit better from midfield, but that re- wasn't really our game plan. Our game plan was to press Arsenal as high up the pitch as possible, and you can't really see Morgan Schneiderlin being able to do that. At least Tom Davis can do that. But I think for a ge- for the game against Fulham especially, I think it's going to be a, a very different game. We're going to expect to control a lot more of the ball. So you could see Morgan Schneiderlin coming back in for that one. Well, well, Tom Davis didn't just play the football match. He actually led the team out, uh, became the youngest captain uh, in a Premier League match uh, in Everton's history. 
Um, I have to say I was a, a little surprised, largely because Gilfie Sigurdsson had captained the team the previous week, and you think, well, you know, why is it being taken off him? But absolutely nothing against Tom Davis. I mean, he's a, he's a local lad. He's passionate. You know, I, I thought he led the team well. Um, anybody else surprised that you know a 20-year-old was selected to lead the team out, or do you think it was the right decision? I mean, it was certainly surprising, like you say, the fact that Gilfie was the incumbent. Had a, a lot of captains this season for various reasons because uh, the person with the armband has then not been available yeah. or not, not selected, but. I suppose compared to some sports, I mean, cricket is a uh, big example of where the, the captain's a crucial figure. And a lot of people say in football, well, it, it's just an armband. But if Marco Silva thinks that's going to bring the best out of Tom Davis and inspire him, then, then why not? But it, yeah, it, it was a surprising decision. Yeah, I think Tom Davis's quotes after the game probably backed that up. Like I asked him in the mix zone after the game whether he feels any sort of added pressure being given the armband, obviously being such a young player, he's even fighting for his place in the lineup. He's not, yeah. he's nowhere near a regular. So I asked him whether he thinks it adds a bit more pressure and he just said, well, no, it just, it gives him a bit of a boost, if anything, because like you say, Preno, yeah. he's been a boy, boy of blue. This is absolutely his passion. It, whenever he's given the armband, he's absolutely buzzing to have it. So I think he just, he's just seeing it as a chance for him to improve, develop his game. And I, I'm all for it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, there can only be two options, really, on. If you could set your point with Pickford, couldn't you, I suppose? Mm. But I think uh, I think Tom Tom or Gilfie were the natural choices, really. Uh, Tom having captained, it wasn't really a surprise, I suppose. It wasn't his first time being captain. He's captained us in the Carabao Cup. But I was surprised. I thought Sigerson would have kept it after the previous week. But I think, as you say, Chris, it's maybe a way of Marco trying to motivate, encourage, develop... Tom, and it shows that he's got got faith in him as well as because don't make a player captain in the Premier League game unless you think that actually is in me plans here. Yeah, you know, because um, if he wasn't, he'd just give it to Sigurdsson, wouldn't he? Um, so I think he, he's shown faith in Tom, and that maybe he's probably going to be play more of a part than maybe what we maybe thought at the start of the season. You obviously see something there that we know is there, hopefully. And I, I thought it was a good move, and Tom handled his post-match stuff with a plum, didn't he? Really, well, I know? thought we saw like it was very few and far between, but I think we saw bits of the old Tom Davis in that Arsenal game. There were little, there were little times when he brought the ball forwards and he dribbled past a couple of players, and I thought, yeah, this is this is a bit more like it. But then, more often than not, it was followed up with a bit of an overhit through ball or misplaced pass. But I, th- I think he, I think he just needs a run of games. And I know, I know it's so difficult with yeah. the competition that we've got in central midfield, but like it's, it's he does tough. need that run of games. Some of the younger players generally, I think, are struggling. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I'm a fan of, I've said many times, mm. I thought was dreadful at the weekend. He, he didn't have a good game at but all. Tosin came on and he worked the keeper more in yeah. 19 minutes than yeah. Calvert-Lewin did. I mean, John Joe Kenny, he did, he did okay, to be fair. I thought, you know, of, of the young players who were involved, you know, he, he's the one that, you know, you know, could hold his head up high, I thought. It's, it's just difficult. But anyway, we're going to get to the absolute burning debate of the day. Now. <laughs> uh, the one that's exercised our imagination before we came in here. Yeah. Or exercised mine, anyway. Why were they wearing the away kit again when they're playing you know, a team that they had no need you know, to change for? What's wrong with all blue? I mean, all... You've, you've got issues with this, haven't you, Adam? You don't like all blue. No, all blue just looks weird. They, it needs to have some sort of like white, either white shorts or some, like all blue. Just 
Really? Just yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't <laughs> sit well. So, with so me. you're, you're happy with the away kit? It just doesn't, doesn't look like Everton yeah. when we're playing in Royal in, in just all blue. Black, black looks like Everton. That, that black <laughs> kit, glorious though. Come on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually like the all blue kit, I like, and I like the okay. all. I like the, the all blue, but well, all blue. Concentrate all blue, but when it's got white socks as well, even better. The, yeah. the all blue with the white socks is my favourite Everton kit. Um, and better than the all yellow from 77 78 yeah, yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> nice. um and i i agree with there's a few comments going around on 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 sunday wasn't it and i i agree just generally speaking we all know why it's done for commercial reasons but you wonder like is it really worth it commercially what did they get commercially from it by Showcasing it, you know, compared to that loss of heritage and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so make us eighty quid, (laughs) eighty quid. You know what I mean? Is it is it really worth it? And I know, like, it's all built into commercial deals and stuff. But I just think, generally speaking, when teams do that, I mean, Newcastle play white now at Anfield, don't they? And stuff like I've played in white at Anfield in the past and stuff. And you just think, why? You know, it just looks Mm. wrong and, and. Again, it's 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 again losing a little bit of heritage that I feel you don't need to you don't need to do, and more often than not, the the, the kits don't look great anyway. Though the the one we wore on Sunday was okay, I, I just don't feel a need for it, and I don't see how it can be sort of compensated for by commercial. You know, by by the commercial deal. Well, I'm, I'm with you, Gav. Maybe it's an old timers thing. Chris, <laughs> any strong views on it? What um, could they, sh- they, they should have worn? Of course, yeah. Everton used to have a policy where they would wear blue whenever possible. Like yeah. you said, they changed the shorts and socks, which, ironically, was something that their opponents, Arsenal, would never do. If Arsenal ever go to another team where they can't wear the white shorts, they will just change completely, and they've always done that. Whereas Everton always tried to wear the blue. So yeah, I was. I think that well, Everton should wear blue whenever possible. Liverpool should wear red whenever possible and I think that um, you're not going to not sell the away kits or third kits if if people say oh well they only wore that one twice or something like that so I understand why it's done but I just yeah I'd, I would endeavour to wear the, the blue kit whenever possible and like I said they've done it two away games on the trot now because they wore the, the white kit at Bournemouth well, we can rest assured that Everton will be wearing <laughs> blue shirts, white shorts and white socks at the weekend you know in the home game against Fulham We'll preview that uh, towards the weekend, Thursday or Friday. So return to us then uh, for more of the same. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.